this is an announcement. If you enjoy Talking Bollocks and you are subscribed and you are a regular listener, would you please join social media of the podcast, review on iTunes, a good one would be great, tell people, share the podcast, and if you really want, come and join the Patreon community, patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith. Of course, that's only if you enjoy the podcast. Now, we shall return you to your regular programming. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Talking Bollocks. It is great to be back, my bollocking friends. How have you been? How's it going? How much COVID is around your area? Are you okay? Are your family okay? It's great to be back. I, of course, am your host, Howard H. Smith. Uh, I am UK thrash band vocalist with Acid Rain. God, that all just right words, but wrong order. But you get where I'm coming from, right? Um, do stand up. Started doing stand up again last weekend, and it was fucking awesome. And I'm back. I am back headlining two shows this weekend. Really excited. Can't wait. It's been, yeah, just a glorious return. Very excited. Myself doing the character Keith Platt. You can find at keithplatt.co.uk. Does anybody use websites anymore? And um, I also do this here a podcast. So the podcast has social media. The band has social media. Keith Platt has social media. Join in if you wish. And also, if you would like to get a whole load more Talking Bollocks uh, content, get a chance to ask guests questions, have a live Zoom podcast once a month, get loads of behind-the-scenes exclusives and extras, then becoming a... Um, a, a patron is a great way of doing that. That's uh, patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith. You will see in the description of this podcast, it'll say support this podcast. That's a link. Click on it and it'll take you there. That's it. That's all I'm saying. So thank you. Welcome back. How have you been? Um, yeah, it's it, life carries on, doesn't it? Life carries on. And of course, so does the world of metal. What has been going on since we last spoke? Um, these aren't the major news stories. They're the ones that caught my eye as I went, OK? Um, and first up, hey, maybe you, some of you don't actually think this band are metal, but let's not get into that argument. Um, Fieldy, bass player um, uh, with Korn, is uh, set to sit out um, a tour in order to heal after falling back on bad habits. The reason why this article particularly caught my eye is that, you know, basically lockdown has been uh, quite brutal for a lot of people, especially if they're addicts or struggling with a particular um, substance, which I guess, again, is, is being an addict. But the point I'm making is it, it can bring all the old problems back, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. And clearly... Um, you know, the dude has been suffering, uh, and and you know, a pandemic that, or rather, the lockdown was it was the final straw. Um, and I just, I you know, there's there's no sort of comedy in this. I'm not going to take the piss. I'm just saying, uh, look, you know, it's it's a heads up to us all that you know any sort of habits or, or or things that you developed in lockdown that you need to kind of, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. 
it's always a good time to start. And I say that as, you know, some of you may already figured out, you know, I've got my own battles with trying to completely kick weed, which is a constant, um, you know, constantly ongoing. It's more trying to kick the, uh, the, the tobacco that goes with the weed, but it's, it, it's got to be done and it's, ri- and it is tough. So, you know, I feel your pain out there. If, if you're, if you're, you know, trying to, trying to get get rid of something that you picked up in lockdown or, or or even something that you know you already had that got worse whatever it is i feel for you and so does fieldy of corn um next up fuck me this is a cheerful opening isn't it um ronnie james dio's rainbow in the dark autobiography more details resumed revealed awesome that's all i'm gonna say i mean it's you know i, I autobiography really Really, I mean, you know, I just, I think it's, if it was written before he died, then fine, yes, it is an autobiography, um, but, I, you know, I just, it's coming out quite a while after he died now, isn't it? So, dare I say it? How did he write it? How did he write it? I mean, presumably, I don't know, why don't I read the article, okay? Why don't I actually dig a little deeper, like a fucking idiot? Okay, now I've done that. Let's um, let, let's let's go through it together, shall we? Uh, this is what we're talking about. Ronnie James Dio had begun writing the manuscript several years before being diagnosed with cancer. Born in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and raised in an Italian-American family in the upstate New York town of Cortland, his journey to international fame was hardly preordained. He first began playing trumpet and then guitar and bass in local bands at parties, bars, and clubs. Yeah, we well, we, we all know how it ended up. These events only made him more focused and determined to succeed. He documents how he evolved from uh, sideman into singer and frontman. Uh, uh, to not one but three internationally renowned multi-platinum selling bands playing on the world's most hallowed stages among them London's Hammersmith Odeon, Tokyo's Budokan, uh, the Forum in his ultimate hometown of Los Angeles and the arena that, re- uh, that represented for him the pinnacle of success, New York's Madison Square, Madison Square Garden, where this book begins and ends. Ronnie James Dio weaves his tale of tenacity, tragedy and triumph in a chatty conversational style. I mean, I basically, that's it. I've read enough. I'm in. I want to read. I want to read the book now. I mean, that sounds fucking awesome. Um, I mean, you know, one of the first songs that I, I ever sang in, you know, out loud in a band was Hungry for Heaven by Dio. As I'm sure many of you are aware, because I repeat myself consist- <laughs> consistently, constantly, well, both. Um, but that is going to be a hell of a read, and I suggest you check it out. Now, on to the, another singer. Former Anthrax singer Neil Turbin releases debut Death Riders single and video Never Surrender. Well, the picture, um, the main picture of this news story is Neil Turbin stood in front of a hot rod car which is parked on a beach. Um, no other band members in sight. They are all listed in the article. Um, the video is all of the band in the studio and then Neil seems to be stood outside. Um, I don't know. It, it almost looks like a big sort of theme restaurant and the theme would be, you know, medieval, like a, a, a castle of some kind or something like that. It's it's really, really weird. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll put a link. I'll put a link in um, so you can all check it out. It's kind of odd. Musically, vocally, um, nothing I haven't heard before by anyone else. It's, uh, for me, it was very much power metal as opposed to thrash metal. 
um nothing nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that but um yeah i mean it's 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 serviceable i'll put the link in the description of the podcast check it out see what you think didn't really do uh, didn't, didn't do really do much for me but you know there you go anyway how is this for a tour if you live in europe violence voivod exciter and artillery mtv headbangers ball european tour dates I mean, how is that? Bloody awesome, is what I reckon. Absolutely superb. None in the UK, just European dates at the moment. Um, And that is November 2022. Um, So check it out. Check it out. Oh, hey, sorry. November 2021. I do apologise. November into December. So if you're in Sweden, Denmark or Germany, Switzerland, Hungary, the Czech Republic or the Netherlands, then you are in for a treat because that tour is coming to you, you lucky, lucky bastards. Um, Next up, Wes Borland says Limp Bizkit has recorded 35 songs for long-awaited new album. Well, let's, I mean, let's just unpack the headline, shall we? They've recorded 35 songs. Not written, recorded 35 songs. What the fuck? How do you pick an album out of that? Who is letting Limp Bizkit write 35 songs? That's what I want to know. Who? How come somebody isn't, isn't, isn't very close by somewhere saying, hey, lads, just fucking stop, all right? It is not the 2000s. It's not the 90s. It's over. It's done. Give it a rest. Ooh, Fred Durst in his red hat. Hey, yeah, it was something once upon a time. But now, no. It's just, it's just really, no. Just don't bother. Pack it in. Right? And, and secondly, the second part I've got, second problem I've got with that statement is for the long-awaited new album. Long-awaited by who? The record label that paid out in advance? The members of the band? The members of the band's family? Because I don't think anybody else is fucking waiting for it, eh? I mean, this is... I mean, supposedly, this album was once called Stampede of the Disco Elephants. Well, wasn't that just a brilliant title for an album that never got recorded? We've probably been, in the last ten years, been in the studio to try and complete the record. I want to say seven times to different studios, and we've been working on stuff and working on stuff and working on stuff, and Fred has been consistently kind of unsatisfied with where the vision is, I guess. So we've released singles, and we were, like, ready to go, and we did another single called Ender Slaughter, and that we put that out. We probably have 35 songs recorded instrumentally, he's done vocals on them, uh, and then thrown the vocals away. Done vocals and gone, fuck this, and thrown it away. So I think it's finally at this point where he's going to pick a set of these songs and that he's finally cool with, finish them, and we're going to finish the record. So fingers crossed. Well, I think we can all agree, fingers crossed, Fred has another fucking meltdown, decides he doesn't like any of it, chucks it all away, and it never comes out. And I speak as somebody, i got to be honest, I did, I did. Significant Other by Limp Bizkit is a good album. Right, there you go. I said it. It's on record. It's recorded. You can play it back to me if you ever bump into me and say, you said this, defend yourself. And I always will, because I think it is a great album. But boy, talk about the ship has sailed. Talk about um, closing the stable door after the horse has bolted. Talk about just fucking pack it in. No one is bothered. Hey, 
And, um, and it's great. Wes Borland goes on. I'm not in charge of Fred vocals. I'm way done with my parts on the record. I'm sure I'll go back in and play a little more after. But it's fucking, but it's fucking Fred Durst. He went from being a darling to everybody's most hated person in the world. We broke, we broke up as a band. He's tried to find his footed. I think on a bunch of these songs, he's so talented, and I love him so much as a brother. But if he's not ready to do it. He's not ready to do it. My whole thing is I force things, but I'm happy to make uh, mistakes and get embarrassed and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But I but I just like to get stuff out there. But he's a perfectionist. So really? So, so we'll see when he's ready to do it. I doubt it'll be called the stampede of the disco elephants at that point. I would definitely say that the riffs and music is the best stuff I've done as a musician, I think. I'm so pleased with the direction the music went and I love what the, uh, the whole band. Um, and I've heard a bunch of sort of demoed vocals of the stuff and they're great. So I have no doubt he's going to come and bring it and it's going to be a great record. But nobody is going to care. The last Limp Biscuit album was a decade ago. Gold Cobra. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Did that trouble the charts? Did that trouble? Did that trouble your playlists? Anyone? No, thought not. OK, I think I've spent long enough on Limp fucking Biscuit, which is what you're probably saying. And like, at this point, I'd like to say... Ex-Skid Row singer Johnny Solinger has died at 55. Very, very sad. Too young and um, and a real talent. Um, I mean, he, he, he did a shift in that band. He really did a shift in that band. So it's a fair play to him. Now, after all that, what else have I got to talk about? Well, I wanted to let you know that um, one of my most... Well, one of my favourite albums of the year, and one of the albums that really just blew me away in lockdown was an album by The Hell called Joris, A Hardcore Opera, Part 1. Well, guess what? That's right. Part 2 is out. I will, again, I will put a link um, in the description so you can go and click on it and go see... Well, yeah, just just go listen. It, I, I mean, absolutely just superb entertaining um and of course big favorite of mine back in the day Ruben saw them loads of t- loads of times Jamie Lenman who was the the mastermind behind the band um uh, makes a guest appearance on the record and he's the perfect person to be making a guest appearance on that record and it's excellent I mean it picks up where part one left off as you'd expect a part two to do well you might not expect that but you know if you're a bit of a fucking expectant twat like me then you do so anyway um got it over the weekend absolutely love it playing it to death completely different to everything else that um that i own and uh, yeah for that reason alone just the originality and the bravery and i know that's a very sort of arty like oh he makes so many brave choices i know how it sounds but it is genuinely brave thing to do um what they're doing um and you know that the fact that Nobody else is doing that kind of stuff. No one else has ever done that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that that points for originality, 10 out of 10. And as you all know, I'm a big fan of originality. Um, still listening to Flotsam and Jetsam. It is still absolutely kicking my ass. Um, a great album. Oh, an, an absolutely great album. Um, really is, like, you know one of the albums of the year for me um if not the album for the year um i've rediscovered 
Arise. How weird is that? By Sepultura. Yeah, I've rediscovered it. Um, I realised I didn't have the. Um, I realised I didn't have the the remaster. So um, I got it. Absolutely, absolutely loving it. Um, so what else? Um, what else I've been listening to? Well, this was something interesting. New album by uh, by King Buffalo. I, I you know I, I wasn't I wasn't a fan at all. I wasn't aware of their work at all. Um, and I, I found it really cool. It's very it, it's it's not I don't know. It's a kind of it's a bit like Soundgarden meets Tool. I, I mean, clearly, if they if that is how they sounded, they'd be fucking massive, and you'd have heard of them. So you know. But it's that kind of vibe, so definitely worth checking out. The new Mordred is is superb as well. I mean, if you haven't got that, and and I have to say it, I have to say it, new Fear Factory, man, really enjoying it, really enjoying it. I mean, I've got to be honest, the whole Terminator concept is really like just guys, no, not anymore. Actually, guys, Dino. Dino, we've all seen Terminator. I mean, the album even starts with this cheesy sort of like, you know, uh, emergency broadcast with the cheesiest line ever that you've heard a million. If, um, if, you're, if you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Oh, fuck off. Jesus Christ. I mean, look, Terminator 2 was the 90s. Let's have a look. I'm going to get IMDb up here, right? Terminator. What year was that? Let's just let's let's just fucking right. So I mean, I'm, I do I do realise I'm having a. Um, I was going to say I'm I'm probably ruining my um, 1984 Terminator, 1991 Terminator Two. We fucking get it, all right? The machines have taken over the world. All right. Will you stop going on about it? Um, but um, uh, it's still a great album, have to say. Really enjoying it. I, I don't know if it's a great album. Yeah, I, I'll temper my, my 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 words there. But it is a but it is a good album, nonetheless. Nonetheless, um, and uh, I'm just. Is it just me that is not feeling um, Gajira? Is it just me? I'm just. I'm really. Really struggling with that one. Let me know. Let me know because I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm always interested to hear other people's um, perspectives on things. And I know it really doesn't sound like it. I know it sounds like mm, bloody hell, he's lost in his own world, um, not listening to anybody. And I can totally understand how it sounds like that and why why you feel like that. But hey, let me know what you think. Anyway, enough jibber jabber. It's time for an interview. And I was just saying how awesome Flotsam and Jetsam was, wasn't I? Well. You know who's coming next. First time we've had a chance to chat since um, since they were over here on the um, uh, Overkill and Destruction tour. Um, Eric and I had a great chat when he was over then. Um, and we ended up finally managing to get this together. We had some technical issues that, um, that were a real pain in the ass. But we did actually finally manage to hook up. And here is our chat from a few days ago. Hello, Eric. Hey. We made it at last. What do you know? <laughs> that that was crazy. Man. That could have been my phone or I don't know what, but I, it was weird. I had Ken on the line too, but he he had to go do stuff. 
Oh, no problem, man. He was probably he was probably just sat there laughing at the two of us. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure he was. Uh, but we made it anyway. Last time, um, last time we spoke was um, uh, I don't know if you remember. You were on tour over here, and you and I spent about an hour leaning against the back of the Islington Academy. Oh yes, <coughs> I remember that. Yeah, I was looking for because um, I think Michael had just gone to Camden, and you were you were bored and had decided to start drinking early. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, That's usually me. Yeah, um, well, why not when there's nothing else to do? Anytime there's Jack Daniels around, I'm pretty much... That's what I'm heading towards. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, re- I remember your love for Jack. Um, so, look, straight out the gate, um, congratulations on the album, man. It is It is just absolutely fantastic. You must be very pleased. You know, it turned out uh, even better than we had hoped, and uh, we we still had that hesitation of how's how are people going to receive this thing, and it's turning out great. People are loving it, so I'm very happy. I, I I know what you mean because it doesn't matter how long you've been in the game, you can think that you've got a great record, but really you've you've really got to see you know if everyone else agrees as well. You know, I'm, my problem is I really like Flotsam songs, um, and I listen to Flotsam all the time. So I'm I'm a little bit biased. So when we put out a new record, I automatically think this thing is great, and people are going to love it. And then sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> uh, well, there's no there's no doubting that um, that this one is going down fantastically well. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a long time fan, obviously played with you back in the day and, um, uh, you know, I've got all your albums, followed your career and I, I, I know quite a few other Flots fans as well. And we're, we're all on the same page with this one. Um, in fact, one my best friend, um, has been out of the Flots game for a, a few albums and, um, and this has drawn him back into the fold. He's absolutely loving it. So, um, Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know, were you aware when you were writing this, you know, right from the beginning, or was, or, or did it kind of sort of shape out like this? You know, the first couple of songs that uh, the guys wrote and gave to me to put some lyrics and melody lines on, I was like, this, this is great, you know, I hope the rest of the record turns out like this. And then somewhere along the line, I start thinking, well, maybe they're all just average and I just am not hearing it, you know. It's it's really hard to tell until other people hear it, start giving you their opinion, and then, you know, you kind of know what uh, what's going on. Yeah, you kind of you know that you're not going crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know, I get it. Um, I, 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 but, it, I, well, I, you know, from from listening to you for so many years i've you i've said this to a few people that i think for the first time in in many years possibly ever um i, I i'd use the word brutal about this album because at times it's it's as as brutal as you guys have ever been i've had uh, a few people tell me that they're glad we put that 
that cry for the dead in the middle of the record because it gives them a chance to take a breath for a minute. Um, you know, it's like being in a boxing match listening to this record. You just get beat up the whole time. Well, if we if we're using boxing analogies, um, first three rounds, <laughs> first three rounds, you come out and try and knock. You you come out and go for the knockout in the first three rounds. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... You know, I think the placement of the songs in in order helped a lot too, because it's um, you know it pretty much slaps people slaps people in the face right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm old school like you, and and I was going to raise the topic of the uh, of the track listing, especially the way that you go in hard with those three songs, um, almost to kind of you know laying down the law that yep we're still here and then you know it becomes a little bit more adventurous after that but it's it's definitely you know when the 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 order of the songs luckily we're in a genre where people tend to still play albums and and play albums from front to back and and if you do then you benefit from having a you know a curated playlist that the band wants you to play it in a specific order and there's a reason for that yeah, um, you know, we, we kind of like to take people on a journey from start to finish. And if you don't listen to the whole thing, you don't get the journey. And on this one, you know, luckily, you're excited to see the next chapter on the record every time you, you, know, you finish a song. So it's, it's turning out really good for us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and, you know, look, as regards your own performance... Um, You've got to be happy with that because you're I mean your your range is still as as great as as it's ever been um and, and you know and if you know you already mentioned cry for the dead which is just has an amazing chorus um I you know are, are you are you pleased with your your own performance I am um you know I, I kind of feel sometimes like every record we've done and everything I've done in our career so far has been kind of practice to get where I'm at now. And, um, you know, there's some things I don't do anymore. I don't do a lot of the super high pitch screaming stuff because it's hard to hit that every night on tour. So I, I kind of shy away from that a little bit, but you know, my voice is, uh, pretty much stronger and higher and better than it has been in a long time. Yeah, that's that's really strange because I've had, I've had exactly the same thing, um, uh, and I I don't know if it's a, um I don't know if it's an age thing or or, or what or or if it's you know your you you know your voice is like a muscle isn't it and it, and it it's, uh, ultimately it gets into that state where um, it, it's comfortable no matter what you do with it you know you've built up muscle memory over all those years and and maybe it's you know it's starting to pay off. Yeah, it it kind of does the same thing live i mean four or five shows into our tour and all of a sudden i'm i'm in a groove and there's no stopping me at that point but first four or five shows i'm a little rough um you know just getting back into the swing of things and um after that it just keeps getting stronger and stronger i don't, i try not to question it too much because i don't want to jinx myself Oh man, I don't blame you. I wouldn't either, because I I do not have that exper that experience at all. I'm I am I am Mister Scars everywhere, and you know, uh, always trying to avoid a sore throat. Um, and yeah, yeah, don't question it. Just do it. Uh, <laughs> um, 
It's fair enough. I mean, yeah, like Mike says, Mike tells me he always used to get on my case about smoking and drinking, and especially on tour. But every night I get stronger, so he's he quit giving me crap about. It. He says, "Do you just do whatever you're going to do because it's working?" But, uh, well, I absolutely. If it works, then just don't like you like you said earlier. Don't question it. I mean, I remember seeing an interview with Ronnie Dio, and they asked him what his. Um, you know what his vocal warm what was his vocal warm up routine before going on stage and he said i smoke a joint <laughs> see i can't do that because <laughs> i think i sound great when everybody else doesn't when i'm <laughs> after i'm high so i kind of quit doing that years ago <laughs> oh i'm i'm not suggesting it but um you know <laughs> it was good for ronnie yeah um but uh, yeah, I mean, it's well, yeah, it's an awesome performance, man. It, it, it really is. Were there times, you know, were there times when you were writing on this record thinking, I, look, I can't wait to get in the studio because I've got like, you know, you can hear the harmonies and you know exactly what you want to do. Luckily for me, um, Ken's studio is like five minutes from my house. Oh, stop So. It. Oh, when yeah. I would get something written, I would just call Ken. I said, "What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm coming over right now." You know, and I'd I'd lay some vocals down, at least scratch vocals or something, to get my ideas out of my head and and onto some kind of recording, so I don't forget what I'm thinking. You know. Yeah, yeah. And so it's for well, you mentioned Ken there. Is this were you two the kind of driving force behind this record? Um. Well, yes and no. Um, the guitar players wrote most of the music, actually all of the music on this thing. And what me and Ken did with the music that they gave us was really easy to do because they already had it at a point where, you know, we were hearing everything right off the bat. Right. So all we had to do was actually get it down on the tape and, and you know, run with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, you knew, you, you know, when they were sending stuff over and you were thinking, yeah, right. Okay. This is, this is good stuff. So from that point, it's just making sure that you get your role right and everybody gets everything done and it, it works together. Yep. And we have a, a neat little process we do where, you know, somebody gets a, a rhythm track or a solo track or vocal track done and we send it to everybody right away and get their comments on it and their, you know, their opinion on it. And uh, we tend to listen to each other. Um, you know, if Mike says, I really don't like the way you come into the, you know, the second chorus that time around, whatever, and I'll change it. And sometimes me and Ken will love it and we'll, we'll run with that. Or sometimes we'll just go, yeah, Mike doesn't know what he's talking about. It's better the other way. <laughs> But, you know, we listen to each other all the time, all of our suggestions, and we don't, you know, we don't uh, ego out on each other, and I know what I'm doing, and you don't tell me how to sing or any of that kind of crap. Yeah. So it's it's a really very cohesive writing process, this team we have right now. Well, that's awesome, and I, I, and I, I know what you mean. I mean, demoing vocals, I do it with our bass player who lives 10 minutes from me, and... and um, you know, we, we we work really well together, and you know, yeah. You, you, but the one thing I always say as well is, if somebody's got an idea, then yeah, I'll try it. Why not? 
yeah. I mean, even if I'm not hearing it when they tell me the idea, you know, I'm, I'm just not hearing what you're talking about. I'll try it anyway. And I try it. And most of the time they're right. And then I listen back to it. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. This is really cool. Yeah. So it's, you know, I'm, more times than not, it turns out better when I try someone's suggestions. And, uh, yeah, I learned that from working with some of the best producers in, in uh, the business. You know, Neil Kernan taught me a lot about that. And, uh, you know, it's uh, once you learn how to listen to people and not let your ego get in the way, it really turns out a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think letting somebody in and collaborating, especially when it comes to vocals, because I think it's, it, it, you know, ultimately, I've done a lot of interviews with producers, I've worked with producers, and they all say, you know, managing managing the recording of vocals is different to everything else, because, you know, it's it's not it's not a sound that somebody's making with an instrument, it's a sound coming out of a person. So, you know, you, you, you've got all of that wrapped up in 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 the performance and then you've got to find some way of kind of maybe criticizing that doesn't go too hard on people um and that can be a, a you know a fine line to tread but i think collaboration and working with you know working with somebody um especially on vocals is is essential isn't it yeah yeah it really is and you know like I said, the, my whole career so far it kind of feels like uh, practice and learning to get to where I'm at now. So it's, you know, I, I always feel like I still have stuff to learn and I still have practice to do. And, you know, I, I've never once thought I know it all, you know. <laughs> There's, that's never been a, a, even an inkling in my thought process when it comes to writing. Yeah, and... Talking of your writing, um, as a, as a lyricist, um, from one lyricist to another, you've really sort of come into your come into your own over the years. Because there was a time where, if I'm right in thinking that you know you, you expressed you know no interest in writing lyrics in the band at, at one point, and and I, and I remember like Eric Braverman was involved at at one time as well writing lyrics. Is uh, does it you know is it kind of strange to be where where you are now or has it just happened over a long period of time? I think I always was just scared of sounding stupid, so I would I would just kind of shy away from doing lyrics and I would you know let everybody else do it and the only lyric stuff I would do would be changing words here and there to make it fit better in the song, and um, you know I. I when we did the cold record was the first one I did completely all by myself lyrically with no help from anybody. And, um, it, that was one of the best records we had out when it came out, you know, um, I totally and, agree. Uh, that, and that gave me a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, I don't know, I guess, um, just a lot of confidence in, in myself as far as writing lyrics. Yeah, I, I mean, there's some. Uh, well, you you cover quite a few things on on that album as well. Um, but it, it's it, it. I remember at the time thinking that it was the first time that I was reading stuff, and I thought, you know, that you were that was personal to you. 
Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the things that I've kind of learned about writing lyrics is if you just keep it, you know, real life and, and personal to yourself, there's going to be other people somewhere who get it, even if they don't, you know, even if they construe it in a different direction, they get it, you know. Um, it, you start making stuff up and it turns a, a little fantasy-ish and a lot of people are just like, eh, doesn't really pertain to me. And if you keep it a little vague and just keep it personal, you know, everybody can find lines here and there that they go, oh, that com that completely, you know, goes with what's happening in my life right now. Yeah, and I think, you know, people find it, always find it, I'm amazed at the, the way people find inter you know, and interpret lyrics. Um, but we, but you know we we do it ourselves you know i'm sure you do i'm sure i do you know as as, as fans of music because that's all anybody is in a band is is just a huge fan of music where just listening to it wasn't enough so we had to you know we had to go out and do it as well um and it does allow people to be to, to interpret things um but i think the song that most sticks in my head from the cold was secret life yeah a lot of people like that one yeah yeah, that I, one was uh, that one was kind of that was a very personal thing. You know, I kind of felt like my um, actually my singing career was my secret life, and that's not really kind of who I am. Yeah. But um, you know, things have changed. But that's pretty much what that song was about. Yeah, and and speaking as somebody who was a singer who was a singer without a band at the time. Um, it really, it, it really hit home, man. It really did. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm, sh you know, you, you you put all that out there, and there's there's loads of ways of interpreting it. But being a dude who's also a singer in a band, it was just like, wow, this is incredibly pertinent to me. Um, and that, yeah, it really meant a lot, man. That really hit home at the time. It really did, and it's a it's a great record. Um, and I'm interested in, you know, the lyrical process on this one as well. For instance, you know, we were talking earlier about, or rather you were talking earlier about how everything came together, you know, really quickly and naturally. Um, did you already have lyrics or did certain music inspire lyrics or or was it a mixture of stuff? The only time I go to lyrics that I already have, because um, I, I do have a huge file full of lyrics that I've written, you know, on tour, on the tour bus by myself in my bunk or whatever and, or sitting backstage waiting for bands to sound check or any of that crap. I'll Sometimes I'll just sit down and write stuff and I try not to turn to those lyrics. I try to, you know, the guys give me a song with a title. I say, give me a title that you think this song is about. And I kind of run with that, and I like to write new stuff. And once in a while, I'll get stuck, and I'll be like, this sounds really immature, really dumb, or whatever. And then I'll open the folder and go, hey, I can pull this lyric out of this song I wrote 10 years ago and just throw it in here. And, uh, you know, it's just an adaptation of what I'm thinking now and what I thought 10 years ago, and I'll put them together and just go, oh, okay. Now this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm, I'm, I was sat here nodding all the way through that. 
Um, and and I, I I totally agree as well. When you live, when you when you're um, you, when you hear the music and you and that's a great idea, by the way. Get the song title from the guys and then hearing the music, it's kind of like yeah, that you know everything has to encapsulate the same vibe. That's how that's how you draw the listener in. Yeah, um, like the song Reaggression. Um, Mike sent me, you know, they send me songs and sometimes it'll just say, you know, song number one or song number two. And I, I start telling them, put some kind of title on it, whatever it sounds like to you. And then most of the time I run with that, we end up changing the title when it's all finished. But like Reaggression, he sent that to me and they, here, this song's called Reaggression because I was really pissed off when I wrote it. And I just ran with that. I'm like, yeah, this is this is somebody who's had enough, you know, listening to that tune. Yeah. And that's that's kind of where I went with the lyrics with it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um some uh, some interesting observations in that song. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, I and I mean it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I you know, I I, I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from. Um, whatever. Cry for the Dead is that? It, I mean, I, I was kind of it, for me, it felt incredibly. Um, incre- I don't want to say brave, but it's it's basically you know look, you know when you you know take care of your own, and when you lose them, make sure you cry for them. Pretty much. I mean, when I wrote that, my eighty-three-year-old mother was in the ICO with. ICU with COVID. She was on the ventilator. They were telling me that she, you know, say goodbyes in your head because you can't go see her. And she pulled through. She she got out of it. Brilliant. But there were about three months there where I'm just like, you know, my my mom has been my best friend on the planet since birth, and this was I knew this was really going to hit me hard. And that was when, you know, Mike sent me that tune and I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm just going to go with whatever I'm feeling right now. And, and, you know, run with that. Luckily my mom pulled out of it. She's fine now, but it was a very scary time for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, well, I, you know, very, very similar, um, experience here. And, um, I, I think especially given what everybody's been through, having a song like that on the album is is incredibly cool for people because unfortunately there's a lot of people out there who've lost a lot of close you know close friends and relatives over the um over the last 18 months um and and I just love the way you emote that song I'm sorry to sound like some sort of singing judge on a talent competition but I really do <laughs> I really yeah I really do love the way that you know you can hear the pain in your voice on that song you've you've really captured it it's beautiful yeah that one uh that one was actually it was I wrote that very quickly and the emotion of the of recording that song came out very easy in the studio and uh you know Ken had very few notes for me on that one we got done with it and he was just like i i don't think i'd change anything just leave it the way it is and that was one of those few songs that just kind of rolled out the way it was supposed to yeah that's when 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 the emotion comes to the party 
the uh, the lyrics flow, and then you go and lay there, you go and lay it down, and the vocals flow, and it's kind of like wow, yeah, it it, it sounds like um uh, that was that was one of those things where everything just came out of you as and when, nice and smooth, nice and easy. Yeah, I'm uh, you know I'm not really a super emotional guy except for when I'm singing, so that's. <laughs> That's when it comes out. Uh, well, it comes out all right. Um, uh, and I, I, I've got to ask you about too many lives. <laughs> there is, um, yeah, th- yeah. I mean, I, I, look for for what it's worth. Um, I completely agree. When I was when I was listening to the the lyrics first time round, the thing that kept going on in my head was a line by Bill Hicks. We're just a virus with shoes, man. We're just a virus with shoes. Yep, yep. <laughs> and um, and that's all For I could. Sure. Yeah, that's all I could think of. And it was just like, yeah, okay. Um, and it reminded. I, I mean, it's it's clearly sort of like, I don't know, tongue in cheek. There's a serious point, but you also set it up in a. Um, uh, in a kind of, you know, you give those you give those thoughts and opinions to somebody who's, you know, who's crazy and got a gun. Um, was that, you know, was that was that an idea that had been kicking round? Because, I, you know, I'm not too familiar with that kind of sort of lyrical structure um, with most of what you've written. You know, that song when I wrote that one, I was watching a bunch of YouTube videos of, you know, people, the cancel culture of people just canceling everything and uh, tearing down statues everywhere. And I'm just, I just got to the point where I'm like, there's just way too many people and too many opinions and too many ideas in this world right now. And then I started looking it up. I'm like 151,000 people die every day in the world. And 350,000 children are born every day. I said, how can we hold that up and not get extremely overcrowded to where there's nothing left for anyone? And, you know, and then it turned into a tongue-in-cheek kind of a redneck, oh, we'll just go out and kill a bunch of people, you know? <laughs> and because <laughs> and, I've, I've got some redneck friends who think that way. They're just like... Yeah, well, if there's not enough food, we'll just kill some people, then there'll be enough food. And it's like, no, that's not the answer. <laughs> but it, that came into play when I started writing the song. I'm just like, I've, I've got to throw this in here somewhere. Oh, definitely, man. I mean, I would, I would, I would, you know, let's go back to the 90s and let's do a big budget video for that one. Yeah, exactly. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be superb. Um, and um, uh, oh, loving walls on the album as well. There's um, is is it me or is there um, or is there a little bit of uh, Bruce Dickinson in that song? There might be. I mean, I'm a big Bruce Dickinson fan. Um, you know, it just so happens I, I I used to be kind of jealous of Bruce. I used to, you know, my ego would always say oh, I can sing better than him and blah 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 and. And then I started reading up on the guy and all the things he's done in his life and all the things that he is, and he's not just a singer in a band. And it turns out he was more like me than I wished he was. 
and and next thing you know, I'm I'm loving everything he does. I'm just like I started listening to his solo records, and I'm just like, you know what, this guy is really badass. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> and um, and since then, you know, my my voice kind of just naturally gravitates towards his style a little bit. I think. Uh, oh, definitely, definitely. Well, you've you, you've got you, have you got you, you've got a similar range, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, pretty close. Um, you know, it's hard for me to tell. I listen to and sing everything but gangster rap. So, and, you know, it's hard for me to just think about metal and and metal vocalists. And yeah. you know, I've learned so much from Bruce and from Rob Halford and Dio over the years. I mean, I've stolen stuff from them to put into my style so many times that I, you know, I, I'm at the point now where I have to give them credit for it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, I did, I have actually uh, been lucky enough to, um, uh, to get drunk with Bruce a couple of times um, because oh, I, I'd I, love I to. <laughs> dude, dude, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I'm a singer in a metal band, I, and I'm running a running a, a a pub quiz in a pub. The quiz finishes, and who walks in and goes and sits in the corner with a beer? Bruce Dickinson. I'm like, what? The f-? I'm, I'm I'm like I'm sort of talking, you know, all the people that I know that I'm saying, do you know who that is? And they're like, no. I was like. You don't know who that is. I was like, I was the only person in there who knew who it was. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, it was it was not a great experience. It turns out it was his local pub. I didn't realise, but it was his local. Um, so, um, so moving on, um, I got introduced to him um, a few weeks later. Um, it was after the quiz was done, and I was having a beer with the um, with the locals, and some of them are his mates, and he came in. And I was introduced to him as the quiz master, and, I was, and he was like, "Oh, hello! I've I've heard about you." And I was like, "Oh, hi, nice to meet you." And I never said that that I sang in a band because I just thought, you know, let's just put that to one side. Um, and um, and we and and we we just we drank, we talked football. Um, I told him that I, I'm I'm a stand up comedian as well, and he was he was interested about that because he does spoken word. So we ended up talking about all of that, and do you know what? It was like two or three hours, man, and it, we had an absolute blast. It was so cool. He's such a nice guy. Yeah, that's. I love those moments. I've had a few of those that I'll, I will never forget. And uh, you know, I'm actually I'm in London at the Columbia Hotel, and it's four o'clock in the morning on my birthday. And when I realize where I'm at and what I'm doing, I'm I'm in a pub that's closed down. Dave Mustaine broke in. He picked the lock and broke in so we could go in and have a couple drinks for my birthday. And uh, I realized it's 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm having cornflakes with cognac in it because we couldn't find any milk. And with Dave Mustaine. And I'm like, this is one of those moments I will never forget for as long as I live. <laughs> oh, dude, that is absolutely brilliant. It's made it even more brilliant by the fact that it was the Columbia Hotel, which I know and love so well. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, for a while there, yeah, pe- that was, you know, for a while there, that people was in a, ba- that was a weird trip for sure. Oh, I mean, then for a while, people in bands must have wondered. They must have thought there was only one hotel in London, because when you ask any <laughs> band where they stay, <laughs> yeah, our first uh, two or three trips over there, I think we'd stayed at the Columbia. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've, ro- I've slept on hotel room floors and had parties in there, and just everybody I can think of, it's always the Columbia Hotel. But that's oh man, having having Dave Mustaine break into a bar for you, that's um, that, that that's one to remember. That's a, that's a birthday that lives long in the memory, isn't it? It was the uh, the pub in the uh, lobby of the hotel. Oh right, okay, wow. Yeah, that's 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 not bright, really. Because <laughs> yeah, don't don't shit where you eat. That's um, yeah, that sounds brilliant. I kept saying, "Are we going to get in trouble for this?" He's like, "I'm Dave Mustaine of Megadeth. We're gonna, we could do whatever the fuck we want." I'm like, "Okay, I'm following." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for a, for a brief while there, um, if anybody would have asked, you'd have been in Megadeth. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, have you um, have you heard of any any plans to get any dates sorted yet? Um, are you are you looking at any kind of touring plans yet? Uh, we've got a bunch of things in the works. <laughs> um, next month, we're going to uh, kind of knock the dust off, do a couple weeks in the western half of the U.S just to get the cobwebs out of us. You know, I, I haven't yeah. even sang happy birthday in over a year now, so I'm a little worried about that. I know that feeling. But, um, yeah, and I just, uh, and every, every day I'm like, all right, today you're going to warm up and drink some tea and do all the <laughs> stuff you're supposed to do for your throat. And I end up watching TV with a beer in my hand instead. So oh, well, I'm, it, I'm it, really kind of nervous about, you know, getting back into the swing. But like I said, three or four shows in and I'm, I'm usually pretty good, so. Well, that, but, that um, makes two of us. I'm, do I'm doing the same. And then right now, I think we're scheduled for the uh, Accept Tour in January. Um, that's with Accept and uh, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons. Wow, that's a that now that's an interesting bill. Yeah, isn't it? Because I listen to them, I'm like, they really don't go with us or accept. I don't know. <laughs> this is going to be a, a kind of a weird tour. But you know, the guy was in Motorhead. People are going to come see him. So, yeah, definitely. But I, 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 I like the fact that that you're going on a tour where you're the only thrash band. Yeah, and not only that, but they're only giving us thirty minutes, and we're playing first. So, oh, it's going to be a little weird. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to be done by, you know, nine o'clock in the evening and I can go do stuff, go to other pubs and hang out. So, Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's half an hour. That's not that's not even a set. That's a sound check. Yeah, exactly. But hey, you know, ultimately, if it's, um, you know, if it works and as you said, it blows the cobwebs out. And given the fact that you've had a year off. And by the way, I was nodding again when you were saying this will be the day I'm going to do my warm-ups and I'm going to do some practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it's easy to think it in your head. I'm going to work on my throat today, but it's a whole other thing to actually do it. Oh fuck me, mate! I wish I could. I wish I could, but I, I just, I, you know, it, there's just something stopping me, and I don't know what it is. I think it's. I think I have to have like it has to be nearer the time. I think I have to. I have to start panicking before I can make myself do stuff like that. Yes, exactly. I'm. You know, it's either that or I'm just really lazy i don't know which one well well for me it's um it, it's adhd it's basically leaving things to the last minute and then piling loads of pressure on myself because that's you know that's the way i roll so i at least i now know that i always you know i was i was always a bit <laughs> wondered why i was like that but yeah apparently that's that's how it works in my head you know i did that with uh, writing an album once and I did not like the way it turned out at all, so I try not to do that, but still, every time, I'm, if there's no pressure on me, I'm just, yeah, I'll do it later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am a deadline guy. You've got to, got to have a deadline, otherwise, um, you know, I, I, if I'm working to something, if there's some pressure involved, and I don't know about you, but it's like, I, I, if there's other people depending on me, then I, that's ideal, because if it, because I don't mind letting myself down, but I hate letting other people down. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, that, and being in a band that'll do it to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and when the guys write stuff that's just amazing songs, then that's a little more pressure. I like that pressure because I'm like, okay, well they did a great job. Now I have to do a great job. Well, yeah, and I, I I know what you mean. There's also that. There's also that. Right, everybody's done their bits and they've gone really well. So uh, don't fuck it up. Yep, yep. Yeah, the yeah, like... I, I kind of like that pressure. So yeah, I guess I guess I've sort of I've come to like it over the years. It really used to fuck me up um, back in the day, and it also when back in the day, for some reason, we thought it'd be a great idea for the whole band to be in the control room when we record the vocals. No. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 But back then when I was young and stupid and it was like, yay, everybody throw your ideas in that. That's, that's the way to do it. Fucking hell. What a stupid yeah. idea that was. First, first two records were that way. I've staring through the glass at every one of my band members and the producer and the engineer and everybody's staring at me going, all right, be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, 10, ten days of staring through the glass looking for approval. <laughs> that's what it used to feel like. Like, look at, like, like laying down the line and going, well, I think that sounds fucking great, but I, I guess I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I went, to, you know, when we did, uh, I think it was Drift, um, Neil Kernan would make me do lines over and over and over, and I'm like, it's exactly the same every time, Neil, what are you looking for? Just do it again, just do it again. And, I mean, just one after the other with no break, just constant, just do it again, do it again, do it Finally, I'd be pissed off, I'd throw something at him and do it again, and he'd go, that's the one. And I'm like, oh, you're an asshole. But <laughs> but it worked, you know. He got the attitude out of the line that he was looking for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and the thing is, it's, it's hard when, when, when you don't hear it. And I mean, for me, the hardest thing is when you're used to laying a line down in a particular way. And then in the studio, it's, it, for some reason, it's not kind of working. And so you have to come up with a new way. And, it's, and, and the old way is still stuck in my fucking head. Yes. Ken will do that to me a lot, too. He will uh, say, well, you know, let's try this, because that's not really working for me too much. And, I, you know, I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? That was in pitch and non-key and, <laughs> and exactly where I wanted it. There was no quivering in there. And he'd go, let's try something different. And we'd try something different ten times and then go back to the original, and it would be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I, you know, yeah, it's all I, in how you deal with singers i guess <laughs> yeah it's like when, when they press play back you, you say well look let's keep that one and then let's just keep that because i like it and let's try your thing and you try their thing and it ain't working you go back and play the original and go what the fuck was wrong with that mm-hmm. you know yes yeah yeah you're like why why did why did you think there was anything wrong with oh you know it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah no it's um <laughs> It, it, but it, but it is. It's it, like you say. You know, it's work, working working with singers. We can be. Um, you know, we we can be. Um, uh, how can I put it? Um, interesting to deal with. Um, it can be, we can be a little temperamental sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I. But also, I think, and and I'd be interested to get your view on this because now now you're taking ownership of the words as well. And not that, you know, that only happened last week, but, you know, since the cold, when you, you know, you, you're finally, you know, you're lyrically, you're owning the albums as well. It's, it's kind of like that, that, that there's more, there's more investment in it that way as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get, uh, now I get really bummed out when people say things about my lyrics. Oh, that was juvenile or whatever. And I get the, a little offended now. Because I'm, I'm much more invested into what I'm writing and what it says and the message behind it. And I don't like it when people go, oh, rhyming, you know, time and rhyme together. That was kind of dumb. I'm just like, wait a minute. You didn't get the meaning behind the line. All you heard was two words that rhyme together. Yeah. But, you know, everybody takes everything on their own in their own way. So I, I got to get over that. Yeah, but but that's but again that's that's really interesting and I think it's really cool when you think about the journey that you've been on from being a guy that was uh, you know was worried he'd be laughed at his lyrics would be laughed at and 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 so you know didn't write any and and was happy to just sing other people's words to to have come complete full circle on that journey and now you know really care about you know your lyrics and how people take them and accept them. I think I think I, I I just think that's a really you know a really really sort of cool journey. Like I said, it's 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 a good place to be. You're in the right place. Yeah, the the cold record did a lot for me on that because I really knuckled down and uh, made sure that there was the message I was trying to get across with the lyrics came across, and that the lyrics were intelligent and. You know, I really worked very hard on that because I knew I was out there in the spotlight by myself with those lyrics. And, uh, you know, I had nothing but amazing reactions to them. And ever since then, I've grown a little more confidence and uh, just kind of kept the same process as far as 
you know, writing something and rewriting it a million times to where I'm at least comfortable with it. And then I got to get somebody else's opinion before I actually go, okay, these are the lyrics I'm using. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, that, that album, you're right, is, it's kind of like a watershed for you, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, the, the, the song, the cold was one of my favorite lyrical songs ever because it's actually about my love affair with the audience when I'm on stage and what happens if it all goes away. And that's pretty much what that whole song was about for me. Wow. And people, you know, I, I wrote it in a way to where people take it in a million different directions, but that's what it meant to me. It's, it's a love affair with the audience and with the people who are fans. And, you know, it's, it's very cold up here on stage by myself if you're not enjoying it, you know. That's that's beautiful, man. That is absolutely beautiful, and I've always been envious of of this song because um, the fact that you, you that you've managed to write a chorus out of two words. I don't know anyone else who can do that in thrash. That's for sure. <laughs> it, it turned out pretty good, and you know, I tried to put more lyrics into that chorus, and it just didn't work. It was just holding that that feel of it's really cold up here if you guys are not liking me you know that's that's really uh the only thing that stuck in that song for me so i was like i'm i'm not adding another word to it i it's well it's it's beautiful it really um yeah it, it stands out and um and like i said at the time i just remember thinking wow that's ballsy two word chorus just holding a note that's ballsy that right there um <laughs> But um, uh, I, I'm, look, the whole album is is just amazing. But uh, look, you've mentioned Ken a few times, um, and he certainly like delivers the goods on this album because I, you know I have to say that um, I mean the the drums just aren't just good; they stand out. It's it's a hell of a performance. Ken is, uh, you know, I'm learning every day how much of an amazing guy he really is. Um, you know, he's got his own um, big-time professional studio. He does a lot of movie soundtrack stuff in there. He does a lot of uh, um, you know sound effects stuff for cartoons and movies from all over the world. And he's really, as far as a producer and a, and a studio engineer, he's really a top-notch guy. And then you look at his record of the stuff he's played on. And, uh, you know, I'm more amazed every day when I find out what the records he's been on. And just what was it? yesterday, the day before, I found out he was the drummer for Jesse and the Rippers from the Full House Band. You know, the, the show, Full House? Ah, right. The kids show? Ah, right. I don't think we get that over here. With, um... Uh, what's his name that plays Jesse? Um, I, f- I forget his name, but it, 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 I was like, I watched this show with my kids, you know, when they were young and like every single day. And to find out that he was the drummer in that band on the show, I'm just like, are you kidding me? That's <laughs> another notch on his belt of stuff that he's done. And he really has this attitude of, 
I have not yet done what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to make my mark as a drummer somewhere doing something. And right now, Flotsam is the most exciting thing for him. So he's just loving it. Oh, that's that's awesome, man. It sounds like you've really landed on your feet um, grabbing Ken um, behind the kit. Yeah, Ken is, uh, he's a find that I was a little leery of at first because of the bands he was in, you know, he was in Fifth Angel and uh, and House of Lords and Chastain and all these bands that I'm just like, hey, that's, you know, those are all cool bands, but it's not really our style. And he jumped in and just made it sound like he's been playing with us forever. Uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, just uh, blood in the water, just kicking in. It's like, whoa, hello, bass drums. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a nut of the bass drums, that's for sure. Yeah, and it, I, but but also, I think that's part of I think that's part of what's driving the for me the the brutal edge is the fact that for me he's taken his drumming up a couple of notches from the last album and that is in no way being disrespectful to you know to um end the chaos because this is but it is it just seems like he's come up a couple of notches and he's hitting everything so far everything that I've seen the guy do he um including his producing and, and engineering and uh, teaching, just whatever he's doing, he always seems like he's trying to turn it up one more notch. And uh, I think he spent his entire career doing that, just I've got to be better than what I just did. Which is a great motto to work by. Yes. Yeah. Works for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'll Ab keep him for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and and he only lives around the corner from you, and he's got a, and he's got a built-in kick-ass studio. I mean, they, you've got to keep hold of this drummer, man. Yeah, yeah, you're not kidding. And he's he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. So that that kind of turns it up another notch too for me. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let well let's hope that um, Ken's around for uh, a few more albums because um, it's been rotating drummers for a little while. Yeah, Ken seems to be pretty happy. Um, you know, we had Bittner in the band for a while, and he kind of, uh, we had this, me and Mike had this thing going on where we were kind of the, the farm band for other bands. You know, a bass player would come in, they'd get their chops up, learn how to, you know, play every single night, learn how to write, all that, and then some bigger band would pick them up and they'd be gone. Yeah. And, same kind of thing happened, you know, with Bittner. He's his two favorite bands on the planet were Flotsam and Jetsam and Overkill, and he was in Flotsam and Jetsam. And Overkill calls him up, says, "Hey, come play with us," and off he goes. <laughs> so it's you know we've, we've had a lot of trouble with that, with especially bass players, but yeah, a lot of trouble with that, you know, with players in the past, and uh, we just kind of felt like the farm team. You know, we we get them to a point, and then they take off. And I think Ken is really happy where he's at right now. I mean, he has no restrictions. He does whatever he wants drum-wise. And, and we just tell him, that's, that's great. <laughs> Do whatever you want. You're coming up with the, you know, better stuff than we had in our heads. So we just let him run. That's brilliant. And 
and and I'm kind of presuming as well that he's um, that he's enjoying the freedom you guys are giving him. He is. Um, I'm assuming you know in Alice Cooper he had to kind of play what they told him to play, and you know in House of Lords they had a bunch of different opinions of what drums should be and you know whatever he's been through it all and he has no restrictions at all i mean he wants to take over some of the managerial stuff you know have at it if he wants to take over some of the media stuff have at it you know he's got a bigger career than than we've had and he knows what he's doing he's been through a lot more so you know we're very happy to have ken and uh we don't we really don't question his methods when it comes to drumming or anything else. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And um, and it seems like you two have really bonded as well because there's nothing, nothing is going uh, it, to gonna bond two band members like one of them recording the vocalist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's recorded so many vocalists over the years. I, just, I love recording with him because he just comes up with some ideas and even if his ideas don't work, they spark ideas in me that work, you know. So it's uh, it's really a, a beautiful, comfortable thing to be at. When I go in there, I know anything I have got in my head may not end up like that, but it's going to be better because me and Ken are both on it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a I've got a bass player in a band and a producer that I work with who where I I, I have that as well and um, and it's great because as as a singer you're out there on your own all the time it's 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 great to feel like part of a team sometimes. Yes, certainly, it certainly does. Yeah, because that 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 booth when you're on your own it can it can be an isolating place if you haven't got you know people who feel like you've got they've got your back um, through the window. So when you know you when you're working with somebody like you say when you're rocking up knowing that whatever is coming out of this session is going to be cool that's that's half the battle. Yeah, and then, you know I used to have set things in my mind of how I wanted songs to hear and I mean how I wanted songs to to play out. And when it didn't happen, I would think, you know what? I think my ideas were better and blah, blah, blah. But over the years, I've learned, you know, the people you're working with know stuff too. So, you know, listen to them and try it out and and then get others' opinions because every, sometimes stuff that I come up with that I'm madly in love with is really not what anybody else likes. So <laughs> I kind of try to uh, just run with other people's ideas. Oh, dude, you just you just really reminded me of, uh, of what you just said there really translates well to comedy because, um, you know, having spent many, many years as a stand up as I still am. Um, oh, yeah. Sometimes sometimes what you think is the best new gag you've had in a, a long time. Just nobody else laughs. No one else finds it funny. And, and and I was thinking it's it's exactly the same thing, you know. You get really excited and you can't wait to do it, and then the the look on everyone's faces is just no, that's not happening, really. And you start wondering, are you people all stupid or am I? I don't I don't know which one it is. Well, exactly, exactly. 
I mean, uh, in in comedy, it's pretty much it doesn't matter because it's like if people ain't laughing, they ain't laughing. You know, there's there's, there's not there's not too much to uh, to you know there's not much much to debris to pick through. It's just a fucking disaster. <laughs> yep. And the weird thing about comedy is you can really hit on something one night and two nights later it just bombs the exact same thing and it's like oh what happened and well and that is what that's what fucks you up for the first few hundred well for the first decade of any career is that is learning is learning that those those times will come along and you just and you go like so you're waiting for the big laugh oh didn't get the big laugh this time okay fuck you next bit and you just you put it out your mind and you just carry on like nothing's happened because that is the best way to get out of that situation. But it takes years. Yeah, you can't you can't dwell on it. You gotta yeah. you gotta just go. Okay, uh, next. But yeah, exactly. But it takes years to get your bre- to train your brain to not go. What the fuck, guys? That's a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like. It is. It's. Oh, you. You were saying about the cold earlier. Jesus, the fucking cold. That stand up. <laughs> <laughs> it, but you know, oh. it, audiences. You know, can be amazing when they're on your when you're when they're on your side. And and you know, as a comedian, you you got to go out of your way to fuck it up, really. But um, but yeah, man. It's you know, everything you were everything you were saying there. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, I've been there. You've got some your favorite stuff, and other people just don't dig it. But sometimes that's just the way it is. And like you said, you've got to listen to people. Yeah, you really do. I mean, you know, I've run into so many uh, singers and musicians over the years that just think that they know it all, and if you don't like it, you you are just wrong. And I'm like, well, maybe that's why you're not driving a Lamborghini. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, look, uh, Eric, that's a that's a really um, good place to leave it. I'm, I can't thank you enough for your time. I really do appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. I don't know, problem. I just dug my uh, acid rain shirt out of the, out of my uh, my time box the other day. We were talking about that, so I was like, ah, I wonder if I still have that thing, and I do. Oh, awesome! Cool, man. I I had um I had a when the I had a when the storm comes down tour T-shirt, which I swapped with Tommy from Prong because he was wearing it, and I think you guys had just toured together. Um, uh, that was when Troy started the tour in Flots and pretty much ended the tour in Prong. Um, and um, <laughs> and yeah, Tommy gave me uh, t- Tommy gave me uh, uh, when the storm comes down um, tour shirt. Um, which I've still got in my nice. box somewhere. What, what did you trade him for? It? Um, I was I, <laughs> I was I was wearing an acid rain shirt, and he was like, "Oh man, I've I've heard of these guys," and I was like, "Oh really? What have you heard?" <laughs> he said, uh, he, he, "He was like, oh um oh I've I've heard they're really good. My my friend um my friend uh, Dan in Nuclear Assault told them and said they were great, and I was like, oh well, you said the right thing because I'm the singer." <laughs> awesome yeah every and he's like and he was like dude don't do that i might have said something terrible i was like yeah i know i know (laughs) um, that's awesome man and look eric i you know 
good luck with the tour. Good luck with the album. Not that you need any luck because it's it's going fantastically well. I look forward to seeing you in the UK in London next time you're here. Uh, yeah, you know, um, they just released a list of all the chart stuff we're on, and I'm just going, wow, this is the best we've ever done on any record. So I'm really happy with it. And at that point, the technical gremlins came back and uh, we lost each other again. But we did carry, carry on messaging for a bit. Um, it was, and it was great to catch up with Eric. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope that if you haven't already heard um, the new album, that you are now setting out to go and make that, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, go and change that. Oh, for fuck's sake. What am I talking about? Do you know what? I nearly stopped and, and st- you know, deleted all of that and started recording again. And then I just thought, no, fucking I'll leave it in. Let people show what a fucking mess you make of this most fucking weeks and then just go back and re-record a section. Um, yeah, God, I was all over the place there, wasn't I? I think, I think it's because I, in my head I was going to say, like, you know, you should go out and check that album out. Well, you don't have to go out, do you? You don't have to go to a record shop to check that fucking album out. Jesus Christ, Howard. It is 2021. Bloody hell. Um, so, yes, you know, it is it, blood in the water, flotsam and jetsam. It is absolutely... Well, what's the point of me going on and on about it when you've just listened to me interview their singer and go on and on about it? So, you know, if you're not convinced now, I don't know when you ever will be. So, um, as always, look, this is the, this. I'm not going to start jibber-jabbering about the interview because, hey, you just listen to it. You can draw your own conclusions from it. Um, I just want to say it's great to be in your ears as always. Just having fun. Just having fun with my voice. That's all. That's all. Also, I like to think of people listening to this on headphones because that, that will be especially especially disturbing on headphones you'll be sat there on a bus or something listening to it and like that starts you'll be looking around at people going oh fucking i hope no one else can hear this this is a bit weird so anyway i look i I just like to keep you on your toes i like it keeps me on my toes that's that's how this shit works man so look um it's it's a pleasure having you along it really is but if you could knit on and just do a little review on itunes hmm the reason I mention that is it's been quite a while since there were any. I mean, there's some cracking reviews up there, and I can't thank people who've spent you know time out of their day to do that. I really do appreciate it, and I will if you do it as well. I really will. But look, only if you're passing, only if you happen to be in the area, just pop into the uh, into the iTunes store, um, and um, and yeah, give us a good review. That'd be lovely. It helps. Um, because it basically means that other podcast, you know, my podcast will be suggested to other people who are uh, listening to similar podcasts. But as regular listeners will know, there is no similar podcast to Talking Bollocks. It's a unique experience because I am some sort of unique cunt. <laughs> anyway, um, always a pleasure, never a chore. Take care of yourselves, you fucking bastards, and I'll catch up with you soon. Ha <laughs> ha!